Hey, this is Dan Nathan. You're listening to the podcast version of Trading Spaces. It's a live Q&A that I do with my on-the-tape co-host Guy Adami every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. We hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks as always to our presenting sponsor, CME Group. Young. It's great to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, how about big, this? So, big shoes to fill, though, with Guy gone. I mean, I don't I have don't the sports acumen. I, yeah. I actually, you have a winning football team on your side. You actually have a I winning have a, baseball team. I definitely team. have, have a, winning... a winning football team. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I'm still a little salty about us not making it to the World Series. But did you yes, know I, that the Atlanta run. Braves used to be the Milwaukee Braves? I did not know that. I, I, I kind of knew that. I kind of knew that. So you're feeling the 50s a and 60s. Love. You're so, like, yeah, love. and, like, yeah. if we lose to the champions, okay, yeah. that's fine. I'm okay with that. No, that's fine, but they're not your team. All right, Liz Young, <laughs> you, are, you are at Liz Young Strat. You are the market strategist for SoFi. Just, you know, your stock is up 11% right now, and I am sure. Oh, really? So I haven't ha- noticed. Oh, really? Really? You're not one <laughs> You took it off your main screen, I think, probably, uh-huh. right? Um, it, it has been volatile. There's no doubt about that. But you're not even focused on that. That's not what you do. You're there to help SoFi customers get their money straight, right? What, what is the logo? Right. Get, 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 get your, your money, money right. right. Get your money right, which I love. Um, you and I got to know each other. You were on CNBC's uh, halftime report for years, and then we finally met, and we've been doing a lot of fun stuff together, whether it be on Twitter Spaces, you've come on our podcast on the tape. Um, we've done some other stuff together. We also dine every once in a while together when you, um, you know, when if you I'm lucky me. enough, if I'm oh, lucky enough say, to get the invite. invite me. All right. Well, listen, you know what we do here. This is called trading spaces. Usually it's Monday and Wednesdays at 1 PM Eastern guy Adami and I do them. It is sponsored by the CME group or CME group as they like to be called. Um, you guys know them. You probably trade your futures, your micros, your nanos, whatever, Futures contracts on the CME group. They're also the sponsor of our podcast that we do with our co-host, Danny Moses. It drops Friday mornings. It's called On the Tape. So check that out, people. Liz was our guest earlier in the year. She's going to be coming back with us. But we're also excited that on Thursday, Liz, you're going to be joining us for the first time. We're going to have a really sweet run here, I think for months here. Um, Liz has a weekly strategy report that comes out every week. Where can they find it, Liz, on SoFi's blog? They can find it on the blog. Yep, there's a whole section that's just for investment strategy. So all my weekly articles are there. They drop every Thursday morning. Yeah, and so for the next few months, we are going to do something. We're going to try out Liz is coming on to the market call, MKT call. I think you can follow it on Twitter, at MKT call. Guy and I do that every Thursday live at 11 a.m. That is a video. Liz is going to come on and she is going to bring her weekly to life. We're going to discuss it right after, I guess it comes hot off the presses, right? And then you're going to be joining us um, on Thursday. So everyone check that out. Here's the other thing we're going to do. We're going to clip this. Twitter, I don't know if you saw this, Liz, last week. They just announced that you're going to be able to record spaces. We're going to start recording it. We're going to put it in our on-the-tape feed, and we're going to push it out. So everything that Liz and I talk about today, for people who missed it, because people are not staring at their Twitter all day or staring at their screens all day, they can listen to it in the podcast store. All right? Um, so let's do it, Liz. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I don't have a little mouse. I don't. I don't even. Ha- I don't have a little mouse in my pocket. It's just me. Um, let's talk about the markets. That you know, I just got off my 
12.30 CNBC Fast Money call. We do it with the producers, the other, you know, the hosts and the other panelists. And we kind of discuss some of the interesting things going on in the market that we might want to talk about later in the day. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, last week it was really a tale of two cities. Um, and we were talking about this with a MAGA complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon, where Apple and Amazon, you know, um, had a difficult run, whereas Google and Microsoft mm-hmm. um, had really good decent numbers where the stocks rallied, made new all-time highs, that sort of thing. It was kind of a bits versus atoms thing. So that those who were being more affected by, um, you know, some of the kind of bottlenecks as, as far as supply chains are concerned, that sort of thing. And they all kind of blamed them, but it's funny. The two acted well and the two didn't. What's your take on that? Just a little refresher of last week's action and the fact that they're all down today, which I think is interesting. While there's a lot of price action in a lot of tech that I see that is really squeezy, you know, um, and uh, yeah. we can get into some of those names. So I'm just curious if you have a take right there. Yeah, well, I think broadly a lot of those names down today because if you saw the expectations for a Fed hike got pulled forward, which yeah. I think they got aggressively pulled forward, and I think the market is a little bit ahead of itself on that side. But, um, you know, getting hikes pulled forward, expectations for higher rates, yada, yada, yada. No surprise that long duration tech stocks are going to be pressured in that environment. I think that probably changes as the week goes on. But anyway, back to splitting up the fang. So which yeah. we can't we can't call it fang anymore. Nope, we have to cannot. What what is it? Is it gonna what are we calling it? There's all these different know. words you can use, right? Like, I, I'm I mean, over I tried to thing. I tried to coin manga. That didn't yeah. that didn't work. No. Somebody else no. says gamma, but I feel like that's you can't use that either because that means other things. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, whatever we're calling them now I'm going to use manga because that's the word that I wanted to use. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually think that it was a good thing that a couple of them acted poorly on bad earnings reports and the rest of them did fine. And mm-hmm. here's why. So over the last 18 months, the stock market has been driven almost primarily by macro factors or by the fact that the nature of the pandemic was to lock ourselves in our houses, right? So we got macro factors like Fed speak or loose monetary policy or fiscal stimulus, everything, anything and everything macro was all that drove the market. And now for the first time, this earnings season, I think is showing us that corporate fundamentals are actually driving again. So you see a bad earnings report from a stock, it should go down, right? You see something that's surprisingly negative, it should go down and it should spare the ones that didn't have negative news. So I think that's exactly what's happened. And what you're seeing in the market action just more broadly is that we've had a pretty big slowing of momentum in macro data. I mean, growth Mm -hmm. projections have moved down. The GDP report was poop. (laughs) Whoa. You can can say one thing about this, but but that's fine. I mean, if that's... You you know what I really wanted to say. You do you You for the Midwest, okay? (laughs) It was poop. And so we've had a slowing of momentum in macro data, but the market now has bounced back and the bulls are on parade. And I think that's because earnings have been solid. So far, companies haven't yeah. been, you know, screaming mercy about inflation. So I think I think the return of company fundamentals is a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the point that you made about interest rates or at least expectations for interest rates to go higher um, should be the thing that maybe causes investors to hit the pause button on some of these, you know, mega cap tech names. We know that Q1 of this year, when rates were moving from, you know, the 10 year went from like 1% at the start of the year to as high in late March um, at like 177. 
And at that point, the NASDAQ was in the throes of a, a pretty healthy sell-off. It was led by some of these mm-hmm. big, uh, you know, it actually went unchanged after, um, you know, a big run-up in the first couple months of the year. So I, I do think that that's interesting. Let's see how they act. I mean, listen, just because we had a little preview of that earlier in the year, nine, ten months ago, doesn't exactly mean that's the way it's going to go um, this time around. I do think it's interesting, though, that um, we I, I don't know how we can talk about momentum in the market and expectations and um, just sentiment around speculative sort of things and not talk about Tesla right here. I mean, Tesla, you know, as Facebook dropped below that trillion dollar club, it was briefly above it. Tesla has just surged above it. And this is one where mm-hmm. I know that you don't love uh, or don't talk about a lot of single names, you know, as a, as a macro strategist. Um, but this is pretty fascinating. I mean, literally at the start of this month, the stock was like literally, uh, I don't know, it was like, a, it was just below 700 consolidated, or excuse me, 800 consolidating here. And and now we're talking about 1200. I mean, when you think about the magnitude of market capitalization, I think it's the fifth largest stock now in the market. And I think by revenues, it's like the 90th or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we are seeing some, some kind of disconnects here, but by traditional you know, fundamental um, valuation metrics. How are you dealing with it? Because I know that a lot of SoFi customers, for instance, they probably skew a bit younger. They probably are apt to take more risk when it comes to um, different investment themes, that sort of thing. We know that you guys are big into crypto and um, some of these other themes. You know, we started talking about Facebook and the metaverse. I mean, there's a lot of themes around that that I think the younger investors would probably be smart to invest in at this point, right? Who can take, um, who have a larger tolerance for risk over a period of time. How are you thinking about those pockets of, of risk taking right now? Because I, I, I don't know how you can talk about the markets at all time highs and not discuss that. Yeah, well, I think the younger investors are invested in that. And, you know, I think that's what's driving a lot of it higher. And this goes back to the whole theme of the individual investor, regardless of their age, the individual investor has gotten much more into a DIY mindset, right? And Mm -hmm. they're going to look at a lot of those names that are, I don't want to call them trendy, because I feel like trendy has a a bad connotation. But theme, theme wise are trendy, right? And then you think about the bill that was proposed last week, a ton of spending on clean energy, just this push towards renewables, that's obviously going to drive things like the electric vehicle market. Not to mention, we're already in a time when people are buying cars hand over fist. So you've got a car company, whether you want to call it a car company or a tech company or a battery company, I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care what you yeah, call it. Yeah. But there's a lot of good tailwinds in the market, in the, in the consumer market. There's a good tailwind, not just for electric vehicles, but vehicles overall. And then add to that the thematic nature and the popularity of it, right? And somebody like Elon Musk behind it. And you've got a ton of government tailwind on it as well. So, yeah. I mean, I will say, though, when something runs up this far this fast, it does make me nervous, right? Because that's usually when volatility strikes and it if it gets ahead of itself, it comes back off the top a little bit. And that's where you start to think about, okay, what about these individual investors that are not used to that kind of volatility? Are they going to be able to kind of sit on their hands and watch that happen and still believe in the long-term story? Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, that 
you know, when we think about um, risk taking and we think about what's changed in 2021 with all these new entrants to the market over the last, let's call it 18 months, if you will, we started this year with this kind of meme stock frenzy and listen, you know, mm-hmm. for, for whatever it's worth, you know, AMC and GameStop, they're still here. You know what I mean? And, and there's yeah. some, some, some other stocks. And, you know, I think a lot of these investors or traders or, or these, these, you know, whoever, whoever's buying these things, they're not looking at the same things that you and I are looking at. They're not looking at charts. They're looking at memes. Right. They're looking at TikTok. Right. They're looking at things that kind of that they identify with. So when I look at a stock like Tesla and, and Tesla, let's make no mistake about it, is like the OG meme stock, if you if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Even in that throw off, uh, the sell off in the market in September when the S and P went down five percent um, or so from its highs, you know, Tesla actually closed up on the month, you know, which was really interesting. I think yeah. it started the month around you know, like 725 bucks and closed just below 800. And then you just saw this blowout and got through, you know, when I look at a picture like that, right, you see that gap on earnings after it had last week. And then the Hertz news that, that Hertz is going to order a hundred thousand cars. And then just today's move up 6% on no news. Like yeah. that's something that maybe empowers that investor where it makes you and I a bit nervous, right? Well, here, let me, let me give you something interesting. So um, and this is not a recommendation to buy or sell a security, yeah. but SoFi has a, a suite of ETFs. And one of the ETFs that we have is called a SoFi 50. And mm-hmm. it's the 50 top held securities across our invest platform. So that's that's all it is. It's what are the most held securities? The biggest, this is as of October 29th, biggest holding is Tesla at five and a half percent. I'll read the top few here. So it goes Tesla, Amazon, mm-hmm. Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, AMC, GameStop. So that just goes to show you, right? So we've got a ton of Fang names, whatever they are, manga names in there. And then things like Tesla and the meme stocks, right? So obviously the investor is invested in this stuff. At least the people on our platform are invested in this stuff. And, you know, what they're making their decisions based on, I don't know exactly. I would bet, you know, I I think we give the individual investors sometimes a bad name. I would bet that there's a decent amount of them that are doing research on their own and they are actually looking yeah. into the company and they believe in certain parts of it right it's not just a trend it's not necessarily just technicals um, but this just goes to show like it's exactly what you would expect if that's in, in fact the case that these thematic names are just going to continue to drive it yeah i mean based on but this again it's like this is not a construct that's made for you or me i mean i've been in the markets for 25 mm-hmm. years and most of the things that i've learned about valuation and fundamentals of companies specifically pro, uh, publicly traded ones it doesn't they're not working right now you know you know what i'm saying right. i mean they work in some instances with some of these legacy names but they're not working in some of these new stories and so i am definitely intrigued by the ev space i can't get intrigued at tesla that's gone you know, from 70 at its lows in March of 2020 to, you know, 1200 bucks now and having nearly a $1.2 trillion market cap, despite only having a few percent of global market shares that relates to autos. But I have to think about the story a little differently. I think that this Lucent move, uh, Lucid, they just started delivering a very high end car to compete with, you know, Tesla's uh, model S Plaid. And then we know Rivian's coming public soon in the next few weeks. And they're going for a different market. It's still a high end um, EV, but it's more of like this adventure. I've been reading up on it recently. Kind of an interesting story, too. But again, basically pre-revenue. They just started delivering some of their new trucks. Um, 
And um, I think it's going to be really cool. Amazon owns 20% of the company. So let's talk about merging themes here a little bit, right? So yeah. Amazon owns 20% of Rivian. Ford owns like 5%. Amazon's going to be Rivian, one of Rivian's biggest customers out of the gate. That's all interesting. I think those are the sorts of themes that, that retail is going to get. But make no mistake about it. Plenty of institutions are there. All those growth funds own those stocks. And then you have something like Amazon. So maybe it's just a different um, framework that you and I just have. Well, I'll speak for myself that I need to become more in touch what with. Are, did, did, test, did the truck come out? Did that happen? No, they announced the Cybertruck. And I mean, again, that's, you know, you know, all of the stuff for the most part, and I'm not just making a blanket statement here, but almost every um, estimate that Elon Musk has given over the last, you know, 10 years or so since they started producing cars in like mass quantities, they've ultimately uh-huh. been delayed and pushed out and that sort of thing. And so for him, he uses those opportunities. I think he knew that Rivian was coming. He, you know, I think that they announced something, it's a prototype, um, and, uh, and they start taking, you know, fully refundable pre-orders for it, for whatever that's worth. But so, well, right. I mean, the Lucid commercials are cool. I'll give them that. Yeah, no, I, the first time <laughs> I saw it was, was during the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, and same. It same. looked like like that was a great ad, and so I think that'll be interesting. I think Rivian will be interesting. And listen, the question is, is that are the incumbents are Ford and GM in Detroit, and as are the Germans and all the Japanese and the Korean car makers, are they going to like move quick enough? Because right now, like Tesla has not only moved on the production of high end and lower end or mid range cars, but they're also moving on the battery and they're fully you know they're they're uh they're fully self-driving you know which is not fully self-driving is you know head and shoulders above almost everyone else developing that sort of thing so tesla has a huge lead despite the fact that they're going to deliver you know maybe 800 900 cars this year which you know is dwarfed by like global production or some of the big ones um so it's, it's going to take lucid and rivian a long time it's just how um, how patient are investors willing to be? How patient are investors going to be with massive losses? Those companies are losing billions right. of dollars a year. And I think Tesla showed us that as soon as they can start making money and producing hundreds of thousands of cars, they could, um, you know, things, the, the narrative of the stock changed pretty quickly there. Yeah. 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 Yep. All right. What, what, let, let's talk about some other things that are on your list. Um, you and I were chatting offline um, beforehand, some things that, that are interesting to you right now. What, what as we head, head into, in your report, and, and this was, I think, two weeks ago, it was a really good one. Go to SoFi's blog and check it out. You were kind of listing some of the some of the headwinds that you saw in the year end. And despite the stock market being very near, you know, highs or about to make new highs, do you does the price action in the stock market change your view about some of those negatives that you had listed? Um, some of those kind of um, you know data points that you think could be a headwind to growth, and thus the stock market may take a take a breather. So. The view hasn't changed because the market moved. The view maybe has gotten a little less negative because some of those headwinds either dissipated or changed. So I was a little bit concerned about earnings season. I I thought we would hear more from companies about inflation being an issue, especially when you look at, and this is a a quick way to look at the data. So you look at something like PPI, the producer prices, that's Mm -hmm. running at over 8%. CPI is only running at five something percent, right? So that's producers versus consumers. That, to me, means that companies are not passing it all through. So they're just eating it. And at some point, does it pay through to the bottom line? So I thought in this earnings season, we would hear more about that, that it was more of a pressure and that wage growth was going to be a pressure. We didn't really hear that very much. We heard about it maybe in the guidance, but it didn't really seem to hurt bottom lines as much as I thought. Maybe that happens in the fourth quarter. But anyway, earnings season has been a positive surprise for me. Um, You know, some of the, the proposal again last week when we heard from President Biden 
the corporate tax hike that we thought was going to happen, that 21 to 28 percent, 21 to 25 percent wasn't in that bill. Uh, we didn't have really much about capital gains taxes, right? So some of the yep. really scary things that would have directly pressured the market weren't in that bill. Now, it's not necessarily that they're going to stay out of the bill, but I think that some relief came in because of that. And then we had a really good jobs report last Thursday. And again, we're not going to get another monthly report before the Fed meeting, but last Thursday we hit post-pandemic lows and continuing and initial jobless claims. And that's a good trend heading into the end of the year. So the other thing, new information today, the savings rate back down to pre-pandemic levels. Now, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at that in a positive way and say, okay, we're back to a healthy savings rate, meaning that the economy is getting back to fully recovered. And you could also look at it in a positive way and say, all right, people ran out of savings. Now they're going to have to go back to work. So maybe that propels the labor market recovery further. You could also look at it and say, well, we've also used the savings rate as this sort of excuse for that's why the market has stayed afloat because yeah. customers have all this pent up demand, this pent up money. Well, they're kind of running out of the pent up money. So th there's some things that from a timing perspective, you know, you need the labor market and wages to grow to make up for the fact that people now spent their savings. But I think into the end of the year, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm more positive than I was a month ago, I'll admit. Uh, I still get nervous about how much stamina do we have to, to eat the inflation stuff. Yeah, no, I think eat the inflation is kind of interesting because you actually took the words out of my mouth, pun intended here. Um, you know, I think that <laughs> inflation has clearly eaten some of that savings rate, right? Just whether mm -hmm. it be at the pump or, or other areas, um, you know, it's still a really cheap to travel and, and stuff like that for whatever that's worth right now. It just seems like um, that's something that has yet to come back. Um, you know, I'll listen, I go back to the broad market here and we'll definitely take some questions. So like queue up some questions, people, if you got them uh, for Liz or myself. Um, but you know, it just seems to me that there's a lot of like squeezy action. I'm just going to like, I have this little uh, on my Bloomberg screen. I have like a bunch of tickers. They're either like companies that came public through SPAC or recent IPOs. And I see like a lot of things up like five or, t or some of these cannabis names up five or 6%. Um, GameStop's up 11%. Um, so mm -hmm. I just see a lot of like, it feels late stagey speculative sort of like stock market action and Definitely with this Tesla. I'm telling you guys what's going to happen here. And while Liz can't make um, predictions or recommendations or anything like that, I certainly can. And I'm often wrong doing it. But I think I like. <laughs> I usually try to try to give it my best shot. Tesla one day this week is going to gap up like it did today. And it's going to have this rip-roaring day. And it's going to drag so many people in. And maybe it's today, but then it's going to reverse. And it's going to close on its lows. And if you guys are into candle charts or whatever it is, and I know the kids today don't even look at charts, but maybe there's a meme for it. And it's going to close on its lows. And it's going to look like an island top reversal. And then you're going to be in the midst of a big sell-off. We had Carter Braxton worth of worth charting on um, with us, I think with you, two weeks ago when we did the market call. Yeah. And... You know, we were looking at this Tesla chart together, he and I, and you look at that breakout at 900, and I know that seems a long ways off. Here we are at 1180, that sort of thing. But that is likely to be support, technical support on that thing for a long time. But shooting against that on the downside, if you'd like or inclined to like take a short on the short, uh, take a shot on the short side or my puts or something like that. I mean, I think that would be your target at some point for a pullback. And I know that oftentimes when you're seeing these sorts of moves, it's hard to kind of fathom what could sell uh, stock off, but it does happen. 
happen here, people. I will say this, you know, Liz, we were just talking about all these newfangled names. Look at a stock like Ford, which had a really good result. And I think this you'd put this in the camp, right? We know that they had stop downs in production. We know that, that a lot of auto companies have had a hard time getting chips, uh, bottleneck issues, manufacturing issues. And so that. Well, that stock's making new 52-week highs right now. I mean, and, they, and to your mm-hmm. point, they, they were able to put up a good quarter and guide well in the stock's performance. Right. As it should be. Right. And I mean, I, it's frustrating and I know I'm a macro strategist, so yep. you would think that I'd be happy when the markets are driven by <laughs> macro stuff. Cause that makes sense to me. And it does for the most part. Yep. Right. But at the same time, as any investor, if you're buying individual companies, you want the individual company risk, right? You want yep. that, what we call idiosyncratic risk, which is specific to that stock. And you want the company to react to what you're looking at for that particular stock. So I think we're finally in an environment of that. The one counterpoint I would make to your, you know, this is a speculative rally, yada, yada, yada. I I do think that there's some of that. You're feeling some of that. But it also could be another one of the rotations that we've seen. So if you look at something like if you take like a semiconductor versus software ETF or just look at those two groups versus each other. And this is a comparison. You You know, you can do it with consumer discretionary versus consumer staples in a lot of different ways. But semis versus software have broken out to the upside, meaning semis better than software, which is usually a cyclicality signal. So semiconductors are kind of the new transports, right? If we're looking at the, at the market. So if it's a cyclicality signal, then what you expect is that the market still has room to move up. It's just different stuff. that's going to move it up. And what we also have to think about is, you know, the, the big names have really carried their weight and carried the whole weight for a long time if they're not going to carry the weight anymore, the smaller names just have to work harder to keep the market afloat. And I think that can happen, especially if you have a cyclical rally that takes over. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're seeing that today. I mean, look at like a, a stock like Deere, it's up 6% on some you know mm-hmm. fundamental news and that stock had been underperforming and the transports finally uh, got back on their horse and, and, and kind of made it back and confirmed the highs in the broad market. I know that you're such a young lady that uh, you don't remember the <laughs> Dow trend. You don't remember the whole Dow theory or anything like that. Um, well, I, I read about it. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Uh, you're probably. I thought you were going to say I don't times. know what deer is, and I was like, you, you forgot that no. I grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, I know exactly I what deer know. is. <laughs> are, you, are, are you guys? Were you guys like a cat town or a deer town? Because that, uh, that that was a well. Thing, so cat know? cat is in Illinois. It's in a, a suburb, a western yeah. suburb of Chicago. So there is a lot of cat around. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. plenty of deer. Plenty of deer. Yeah. All right. Well, to your point about the rotations, you know, that's been a story of 2021. And, 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 you know, obviously the stock market very near all time highs or at all time highs of 22% of the year. We haven't had a drawdown peak to trough of more than five and a half percent. We had, uh, you know, one in the spring. We had one in September. I think that this would be like one of like four or five years in like the last 50, and I, and I may have that wrong, maybe it's since 1980 that hasn't had a 10% peak to drop decline if we do not have one this year. So that would be something I think really interesting to track. But to your point about, you know, energy has obviously been a huge outperformer over the last few months, it's definitely since crude kind of bottomed out in the low 60s. Um, in the summer now it's at 85 bucks or, or near it. Uh, but when you put that together, you put financials, you know, bank stocks in particular that have acted really well. They just don't make up a big enough percent of the, the, the broad market. So you're still going to need those mega cap names. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? To um, let's see if um, I see Helene here, Helene Meisler. Helene's a, a fantastic chartist. Let me see if she would come up 
um, and speak uh, for a couple of minutes and, and talk about the technicals here, because I know we were just talking about um, some of these rotations and some of the price action and the NASDAQ finally made a new high. The S&P did before that. The S&P equal weight, to your point about the rotations, also made a new high, I think, before the NASDAQ. It, that was just showing me that this this rally was broadening out a little bit off of mm-hmm. those recent lows um, in late September. So I'm just curious what she's seeing in the charts, if she has a second here. Um but then we will definitely take a couple questions. Anything, Liz, you know, on your radar um, outside of big cap tech, outside of financials and energy? Uh, we talked a little bit about transports. A- any other like under the radar sectors here? Uh, well, if you listen to me talk, this is not under the radar, but maybe for others. I love an environment when I can push small caps. And <laughs> I think I think this is one of them. And, the, and you're going to hear me say that if if given the opportunity to push small caps, I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. You know, I think small caps are, are the opportunity of the American economy. I mean, the most successful small cap story is one that grows into a large cap, right? But this is also an environment where if you believe in the cyclical rally and the cyclical rotation, small caps are a part of that. They're a cyclical size category that in an expansion should do well. Uh, they mm-hmm. can do better in inflationary environments. They're the, I think they're the only major asset class to beat uh, inflation over the last like eight decades or something. So thinking about just the environment we're in, I think, you know, we talk so much about large cap for obvious reasons, but don't neglect the little guys. All right. Well, let's talk about the, I mean, the Russell 2000. I mean, I think that at one point this year, Apple had a larger market cap than the entire Russell 2000. So <laughs> uh, and that, that, that is a fact. And year to date, you have the Russell up 19%. So it's been in this really long consolidation, right? It, it, it had this outperformance after the election and after the vaccine news um, in November and December. And then basically it got to about 2,300 or so in January, February. And it just basically traded in this range between 2,100 and like 2,350 or or something where it is right now. Helene, are you with us here? Because I got to, I got to get your take on the chart. It looks like it wants to break out. And I think there is, um, I can't remember. Oh, Louise Yamada. You remember she's a um, technician and she's been on the street, I think, for decades. And she used to have this saying about the longer the base, the higher in space. I think you can figure Ooh. out what that means. So you, you've never heard that? You've never no. Heard that young? I don't right, think well, so. You know, and she's like a like chartist OG here. And um, so this one, like today, is up two and a half percent where you have the S&P 500 basically unchanged and the NASDAQ up like 30 bips or something like that. That's that outperformance that you're talking about. To me, uh-huh. that's saying that we're going to have an economy that's about to inflect after we've seen this period of kind of deceleration. Is that, is that what it's saying to you also? I think that's fair, but it's a it's an economy that's going to inflect in the face of inflation, and it all depends on keeping that in check and keeping the numbers in a place that we're comfortable and a Fed that doesn't make a mistake, right? So well, there so is what a is lot a kind of mistake, riding on that. What is a Fed mistake to you right now? So, so we, right now we know that rate hike expectations have been pulled forward. Okay, they were really all the way out in 2023. Now they're coming in with like what two or three in 2022. But why is it that the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield does not mm-hmm. rally? I know that mm-hmm. we have you know the 210 spread. Um, 
you know, at a level which I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at it at like, um, you know, I see the two year at like uh, point uh, 51 bips, and I see the 10 year, and you can do this math at 1.58 or so. Um, you know, we've seen this flattening of the yield curve a little bit. What is that saying to you um, as far as rates? Because to me, just so you know, the Russell at the at its highs of the year were in late March when rates were at their highs of the year, mm-hmm. right? And so here we are. Rates are not back at their highs, but the Russell is about to break out. Yeah, I think, okay, you asked what a Fed mistake would be, though. Yeah. The, the most glaring Fed mistake is to raise rates above where the 10-year Treasury rate is. Okay, so, and, and we're far from that. But yeah. let's say the 10-year stays kind of stuck in a range and the Fed starts to raise rates. They have to be really careful about closing that gap between the Fed funds rate and the 10-year Treasury rate. Now, yeah. I think, actually, if we're asking about this just today, in this moment in time, a Fed mistake would be to leave everything dovish, right? So yeah. if they... They come out on Wednesday and they say, we're not going to taper. That's a mistake because it is time. I think it is long past time to start taking the foot off the gas pedal, especially now that I feel like we're seeing the market respond to fundamentals, which is a perfect time to pull a little bit of the policy gas back. Right. So they come out and they say they're going to taper. I actually think that they're going to have to taper faster than what's expected. So what's expected is 15 billion a month. I think they're going to have to speed that up and get more aggressive with it because it's the only tool they have to control inflation for about the next six months. They're not going to raise rates before they're done tapering. I also don't think they're going to raise rates immediately after they finish tapering. So if you think where the market is at June, what is it? June 2022 is the first expectation now. That means that they would have to finish tapering in May at the latest, which already means they'd have to accelerate. I think they probably want to leave some space in there, which means they'd have to accelerate and finish by April. I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. So I think the market is a little ahead of itself on that expectation. I do think it would be a mistake to finish tapering and immediately hike. Yeah. Well, we got pl- we got some time to consider that. Um, I, I, I agree with you that that is probably the, the, the mistake that they can make um, at this point is to stay too dovish because we would start to see some really wacky um, speculative action, not just mm-hmm. in the stock market, crypto, and also in housing and, and, and the like. So um, I agree with that. Um, Helene, are you here? Because I, I got to get – we last talked about some of these major indices. I'd love to get your take. You just heard us talking about the small caps, Russell 2000. Liz – Never misses an opportunity to push it. <laughs> um, first of all, Liz, that was a terrific presentation you gave. I loved it. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, I've been looking for the Russell to get up to the old highs, which it has. Yeah. Uh, obviously, today it seems to be almost the only game in town, so everybody sees it. And I always get a little nervous when everybody sees you know, what's the only game in town. Um, (laughs) However, I I have had a theme since, you know, the market sort of made its lows a month or so ago. And that is as long as breath is good, the market is in okay shape. And uh, breath is still good. You know, it's faltered a bit a couple of times, but um, it's never really been bad enough to roll anything over. And so as long as it keeps doing that, the market is okay. Do I think we're probably going to get a whack later in the week? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just so you think, I have a, you think I have a couple of that. indicators that show we're going to get just too overdone probably by midweek. 
All right, let's hear them. What are the indicators? What should we be looking at? <laughs> First of all, you guys, you can see if you're on here right now, you can see where to follow Helene. She does great work. She does uh, charting all week, but her commentary, her witty commentary is really great. And then on Saturdays, you do your Saturday chart work, which is really awesome. So what would be a couple things that people should look out for, um, you know, after this uh, Fed meeting that, that would catch your eye about a move uh, lower? Okay, so we've got a few. Uh, well, first, on the sentiment front, um, I've got the daily sentiment indicator, uh, which is a daily thing. So, you know, a well, one day down can reset it. So just so you know, but um, NASDAQ was 87 on Friday. Uh, reading over 90 to me is a big red flag that you're probably due for a good down day, uh, you know, within the next, call it one to three days. Um, and the DSI for the VIX was 14. And so if that gets down to single digits, again, you got to look for a bat of volatility. Um, All right. That's just the way that happens. Um, you had a put an equity put call ratio under 40 last week. That's also usually a good sign that within a week, you're going to get a good bout of volatility, something just to, as I say, shake the confidence of the bulls. Yeah. Um, but again, that's, you know, that's just sort of short-term stuff. We're, we're going to be kind of overbought by Wednesday as well. So it sort of coincides with the, on a short-term basis, coincides with the Fed. So just, you know, a couple of things are lining up for, you know, wow. perhaps a sell the news event. But again, as long as breath is good, I don't think it's negative. I think it's just all short-term stuff like that. Well, listen, you had me at bout of volatility okay i really appreciate <laughs> you checking in i give you a lot of credit you have been saying to uh take a look and reload um on support and this russell because it has come back to support but there probably is a whole host of um kind of you know things that could happen in the near term that could cause this breakout after this really long consolidation i think the s&p looks a bit extended to me um and especially if you kind of lose some participation if tesla were to pull back and, and and maybe amazon and apple have more downside microsoft is extended as it is i just don't know how the s&p keeps powering forward so i'd much be more be inclined to take a look at the russell at liz young's russell all right Helena, yes thank you very much we're going to take a few questions we really appreciate Thanks, you jumping on here thank Thanks, you Celine. all right let's do this questions for liz young people um let me just and 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 don't ask her about shit coins and stuff like that because um <laughs> you know we just don't we don't do that here we don't do that here all right what do you got here we have um i'm connecting to uh uh shivan uh shivan are you there do you have a question for liz young Uh, maybe not. Let's see if I can get somebody else here. They're, they're queuing up. Uh, here's BioLearner. I'm going to add BioLearner if they're there. BioLearner. Do you have a question for Liz Young? Hey, Liz. Uh, I'm a fan of you. Uh, I see you on CNBC all the time. I can't imagine I'm talking with you uh, <laughs> live. And uh, same with Dan. Uh, you know, and, and no offense. And Helene, everyone awesome. So, so a quick question, Liz, the way the market keep melting up, you know, especially long duration, uh, high price to sales, uh, money losing, very little free cash flow stocks, along with, you know, uh, you know, 10 year came from 110, 115s to 160 and Fed meeting coming up. So uh, how all this is going to pan out for, for someone who is positioned for more value, like, you know, 
investing mm-hmm. and uh, i think it's all is really overdone and like tesla going up uh, uh, fortunately i'm not in tesla short or anything mm-hmm. uh, uh, like going up you know relentlessly and coin shib shib shibu coin or whatever <laughs> coin they call it so so is i hope fed is watching it and i don't know if they're watching these things and how all this is going to you know resolve by itself uh, thank yeah. you that's a great question and and thank you for it first of all i do think the fed is watching all of this um you know i think it's easy for us to assume that they're not paying too much attention to individual names or what the market is doing i think they're watching all of it um positioned for a value stock led rally i think is a good place to be now it's always a matter of time frame and here's what i would say to that in the next 6 months let's call it maybe 6 to 9 months when we're going to hear about the taper we're going to enter the tapering program and we're probably going to get a lot more clarity and the market is going to move around depending on where rate hikes uh, end up being placed you probably will continue to see a grind higher in the 10 year and something i've been saying about the 10 year is I want it to go up, but I want it to take the stairs, not the elevator, right? I want it to go up slowly, methodically, but I do want it to reach above where it did in spring. So I want to see it get past that 174 mark. I think we can handle 2 at by the end of this year even if that happens. Once we get into that 2 and a half 3 range is when it starts to get murky and the market might get a little bit upset about it. But in the next 6 to 9 months, as the 10 year grinds higher, Uh, I would expect that those long duration growth names do see a little bit of pressure. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to be negative. So don't get frustrated if they stay positive because they might stay positive. But if you have an environment where rates are rising, that's naturally better for those value stocks. It's better for financials, it's better for cyclicals, it's better for small caps, it's also better for some dividend payers. So you should see some nice upside if that's the case. over the long term so if we're talking about this from an investment perspective of let's call it 3 to 5 years i think you still have to hold some of those long duration growth names because the reality of it is that that is the prosperity of the american economy and we have some of the best tech companies in our economy compared to other countries around the globe so for a long term investor you don't want to be absent those names but if you're trying to position your portfolio for the next 6 to 9 months i think being positioned for value is just fine All right, that was epic, Liz. So thank you so yeah, much. Thank you for for the question. Um we're going to get more of that from Liz when she joins us Thursday on the Market Call at Market Call MKT Call. So check that out people. She's going to be giving her rundown of her weekly uh SoFi uh strategy update. So that'll be really cool. All right, let's take Liz. I know you got to get out. I think you have a TV show to do really soon. Let's I have, take I have a flight. Uh, what, what, <laughs> Oh, you do. What's what yeah. is all right? What's your heart out? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna add uh, I'm gonna add Matthew right here. How how much you got? A few more minutes. I, I'll, I'll more give questions? you I'll give you eight more minutes. Oh, look at you! Thank you. Yeah. All right, Matthew, are you there for Liz Young? Do you have a question for Liz? Yes, uh, first time, long time. Thank you so much uh, for hosting this. I really appreciate it. So, uh, in a similar question to uh, the last um, speaker, you know, I think one of the most frustrating things about this rally has been. um even if we have been well positioned you know for the reflation with oil airlines banks and tanks um you know i think it honestly feels like i would have been better off just buying the absolute most sorry for my language dog shit coin i could have thought of and <laughs> how do you how do you get over that and how do you stay focused on on the prize kind of long term uh when you're meeting with your clients and and reviewing your investment strategy 
Yeah, look, so crypto is something that I, we can't ignore. Um, I certainly would have a presence in it as an investor. And, and in my personal accounts, I do own a couple different coins. But it's not something that I'm willing at this point to throw everything at, right? It's not something that I would look at and say, oh, shoot, I missed out because I didn't own whatever that coin, you know, insert insert coin here, right? I don't think that it's something that the market has gone through enough of a price discovery process on yet. And I think it's an interesting place to look to, especially in an inflationary environment, but also in an environment of monetary policy, not quite figuring out how to get out of this, right? So I think it's an interesting spot to play in, and it's something that we should all learn about. But I also think, and, and to your, your point about, I guess I'll, I'll just say it, shit coins, um, it's something that as the industry grows and evolves, I think there's going to be some Darwinism that happens. There's over 8,800 coins right now. They can't possibly all survive. So I compared it recently to the microcap stock universe where microcaps, some of them have great opportunity and you might pick a winner and it might be the best investment you ever made in your life, right? It also might go to zero. So you have to think about a new industry like that in the same way that there's likely to be some consolidation over time. We still have to see what the regulators are going to do. But it's a place that once you have money in it, you're going to watch it more closely and you're going to learn about it. I just would put my money in some of the more well-known, maybe more well-established coins at this point. All right. Well, th- thanks for Thank that question. And, and I, you know, Liz, I listened to you last week on your podcast, actually. So, guys, check out Liz's podcast. I think it's called The Important Part. Is that correct? I am a subscriber and I listened to the first two episodes. So, check it out. She had Anthony Pompoliano. She affectionately calls him Pomp. And you guys went <laughs> through, you guys went through a, a lot of his thought process on how he got into the crypto space, why he seems to be most focused on uh, Bitcoin, but why there's room for a lot of other coins. He's not a Bitcoin maximalist, as, as some of them say. And I thought that was a really interesting discussion. And I also learned for the first time that you own some of these things, like you just said here. So check out her podcast with Pomp. I thought that was great. Um, all right, let me take one more question, and then we're going to let you go get your flight, um, because, you know, you're an important person here. I'm gonna the plane add, doesn't wait. Yeah, I know the plane does doesn't wait right. for trading spaces. I am going <laughs> to add Josh Young here. This is our final question. Josh, thanks for joining us here. And uh, and then we'll uh, we'll let Liz leave. Josh, you there? I am. Yeah. Thank you, Dan and Liz, for uh, for having me on here. Um, so just, uh, I guess, two parts, same question, which is, um, how would you differentiate the current time period we're in versus kind of uh, 1999, 2000 in terms of tech stocks, as well as like oil and gas and basic material stocks? Sure. So tech stocks, I, and I've, I've drawn this comparison a few times, I know it's tempting to look at what's happened with tech and the run up in tech and say, oh my God, we're in another tech bubble. Back in 1999 and 2000, we were in a completely different economy and we were in a different place of innovation. We were at that point investing in things that were ideas, right? They were kind of bright, shiny objects that we sat back, crossed our fingers and thought it'd be really cool if this worked out. Now, when you look at the tech stocks that are driving the market, I think we can all agree that it worked out, right? It worked out for Amazon. It worked out for Microsoft. It worked out for Apple. It even worked out for some of the ones that had to reinvent and try to keep up. And they might have been some of those legacy tech names that are now still thriving. 
So we're no longer investing in ideas. We're investing in the future and we're investing in the American economy shifting from different industries into technology. I also think, you know, for as much as we talk about the FANG names, there's a lot going on in the rest of technology. And, you know, the semiconductor shortage aside, if you just think about the crisis that we went through, it was a healthcare crisis, but it reminded all of us that we needed to marry healthcare and technology much more quickly to make it more efficient and so that we can be ready for that kind of crap show again if it should ever happen. And that only drives technology investment as well. And then think about the labor shortage, right? We've got not enough people for all the jobs that are open. The only way to really do that is to invest in technology and close that gap. So long term, the appetite for technology is still there. And it's now a proven quantity, right? We've done, we've kind of done the idea generation. And now we've got proof of concept that tech is here to stay and it's going to drive the economy. If you think about energy, I mean, the energy stuff, you know, Obviously, there's been a huge run in energy. Some people are saying we can make it to, I, I think I heard somebody say $250 a barrel before the, it really starts to pressure the market. We watch energy like that because it usually precedes a recession. A spike in energy prices usually precedes a recession. But we have to go really a lot further than we are right now in order for that to become an issue. I don't know that we can make it to 250 before that happens. But yeah. the last time that we got nervous about it, it was about 130, 135. I think we're still okay in energy stocks until then. You know, you were probably in grade school, Liz, in the late 90s. Um, I was, <laughs> I was I in high was, school. I was, I in was high working um, at a hedge fund. And, and the guy who ran the fund looked at me, and, and I probably looked like the youngest guy on the desk, and I was, and said, hey, listen, there's all these stocks moving around, XCIT, LCOS, AOL, YHOO, AMZN. Go figure out what these things do because we we want to trade them. We want to, they're moving around like crazy. And, you know, the one thing that I would say is very similar to the late 90s is that in hindsight, all of those equities, which these companies, you know, they had revenues, they had no earnings, but they were very immature business models. When you think about the size of the companies that are going public, whether regular way IPOs, direct listings or despacking or, you know, that sort of thing, these are like massive market caps. These market caps were really small back then. They were mm -hmm. basically like crypto tokens are now, okay? Like, like for all intents and purposes, they're representing the promise of some sort of disintermediation of some existing technology. And I think, so Liz, I agree with you 100% what you just had to say about the stock market. And now technology is permeating its way through all of these other industries. Climate tech is huge, energy tech, all these sorts of things. But I mean, obviously, the answer to your question, though, Josh, is that like this is all happening in, in things like DeFi. I mean, this is, it's happening all mm -hmm. over again. Now, I will say this. I've lived through the dot-com implosion. I saw Amazon, which at the time, you'd have to be a moron to say, all right, well, e-commerce is never going to really make it here. I just don't think that these guys know what the hell they're doing. I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of people thought they just didn't know how to value it, right? So Amazon lost 85% of its value from its highs in 2000 to its lows in 2002 or three, And then again, in the financial crisis, when the stock market got hit 50%, it lost 65% of its value. So I guess what we're trying to say is when it comes to innovation and taking a long-term view about innovation and how to profit from it, um, you know, volatility is going to be a feature, not a bug of it. Now, choosing the right names or the right tokens or the right companies or the right managers or whatever it is, that's the trick here. So keep listening to people like Liz Young. Thank you guys for the questions. Thanks for tuning in with Liz today. Liz is going to be on with Guy and myself on Thursday on at Market Call, MKT Call. 
check that out. That is sponsored by SoFi right now. Liz is going to be coming on <laughs> giving her um, verbal explanation of her weekly note. So we're really excited for that. FactSet is also the sponsor of that. Check out On The Tape podcast. That is sponsored by CME, also the sponsor of these trading spaces that we just got done doing. So we really appreciate you guys tuning in. And then also... Like I said, Twitter just allowed us to clip this thing. Uh, we're going to put it on, on our um, feed at On The Tape Podcast. So check it out. Go to the podcast store. Subscribe to that um, and, and take a closer listen. And you can follow along with the charts of the whole jam. So, Liz, thank you. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Safe travels. And thanks to everybody for, for joining us here. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trading Spaces brought to you by CME Group. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at underscore trading spaces and join our Twitter spaces every Monday and Wednesday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow on the tape in your favorite podcast store for new episodes every week.